0: Okay, friends, I hope you got some coffee, and I hope you met a new face or said hello to somebody. Um, I have the privilege and joy of introducing you to Pastor Lisa Stonehouse. She is one of the pastors at Harbor Life. Yes, she is that wonderful. Um, I've just been like able to get to know her over the past few months, and it's been Wonderful. So I'm excited for her to be here with us today and for all of us to hear what she has to share. So thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Good morning. It is truly um, a joy to be here. Um, Like Sarah had mentioned, I am on a team with her and Lisa. And upon first getting to know them, like Sarah brings the zest and Lisa brings the steady. But the more I get to know, Lisa, she's a little zesty underneath, and Sarah's pretty steady, too. So they're super, they're just delightful. Um, and But you guys already know that they're so great. Um, the staff here is incredible. Their heart for you, their heart for Walker is just beautiful. Um, and the mission of helping people find their way back to God is just how their heart beats. And just hearing your announcements, I can see that's how your heart beats, too. So it's beautiful. Um, I've never been here. This place is awesome. It's so spacious, but it's really cozy, and I love that. And you're right by the Cheese Curls factory. Cheese curls are my favorite thing in the world. They remind me of my grandma. Um, So on my way in, I was like, no way! And I'm kind of a nerd, and so I love knowing where things are made. So that's pretty great. Um, I love listening to Wally and his messages. Um, He reminds me of, the way he uses words reminds me of Max Locato, and I love Max Locato. And the way Wally weaves words and impresses them on our hearts to tell the story of God and his love for us is so beautiful. So I want to start this morning um, with a quote from, actually, I'm going to start with praying. Let's do that first. God, you're good. We sang about your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Lord, every moment of our lives, you weave goodness and faithfulness. Even in brokenness and even in pain, God, you are faithful and you are so good to us. Lord, rid me of myself. God, I pray that um, your words and your heart for us, your people, are spoken. We love you, Father, and we just celebrate your presence and your witness with us. Amen. Okay, this is what Wally said last week, and I think it is spectacular. This is not about earning, striving for, or proving a static perfection. This is about growing in the ways of Jesus, maturing within the journey of being God's kids. We begin by praying for how to love more when we walk out that love more and more. We are each a God carrier, a house of the Holy Spirit. It comes with the whole package of being human. Jesus didn't come to show us how to escape humanity but how to grow up in our humanity. Incarnation, God in flesh, is an affirmation that it is good to be human. Wally Harrison, that should be in a book or something. That is beautiful. And one of the things that I love most about Jesus is that he doesn't just tell us to do something. He lives it out and invites us to come in so we can join with him in our own journey too. And as Wally so perfectly put it, Jesus doesn't come to show us how to escape humanity but how to grow up in our humanity. And so today we're gonna talk about three of the ways that Jesus invites us to step into growing up in our humanity. We're gonna talk about generosity, fasting, and prayer. How do they connect? What do they look like? Why do we do them? For Jesus' listeners in those days, giving to the poor, prayer, and fasting, they were key acts of holy living. You would have wanted to do that to be holy or to appear holy. Jesus, once again, takes it a step further. He is addressing what should be happening in our hearts and our minds when we are doing these three things? What should the posture of our hearts be when we give, when we fast, and in our prayer life? We're working through Matthew this year, and I'm really excited about it. And so today, we're going to start with Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus said, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus here says, be careful or beware. That phrase should catch our attention to make us pause. Jesus says there's something here that could be harmful to us. When you walk up to a house with a sign that says, beware of dog, your senses are heightened. Did anybody ever have a paper route growing up or like going for a walk? Like instantly you're scared. Like what is this Doberman or Rottweiler gonna come flying at you? Like that's what you picture, right? So you're cautiously looking around for that dog. So Jesus says to us, beware, because there's something that could do us harm So just like if we're walking up to a house with a beware of dog sign on the door, we should pay attention to what Jesus is telling us to be careful about. He says not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That is worth being aware of. Right? Doing good deeds for the purpose of making yourself look good or to gain recognition. I wonder if you feel a little twinge of conviction too. Doing something so that someone sees what you're doing so you get the recognition. Hoping it gets notice. Right? When we lay it out like that, I can see why Jesus would say, check yourself before you wreck yourself which I thought of because 90s rap has been on my mind since the Super Bowl. (laughs) There is nothing lovely or kingdom living in that heart posture. And then Jesus specifically narrows it to giving. And he says, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Don't sound a trumpet. So some historians say there was an actual trumpet that would be blown to indicate that it was time for the community to come and give to the temple because the poor people were in need. Others say this refers to the actual collection bins for the money, that there was a trumpet-shaped metal cone, like an old, what are they called, Victrola's, the old um, record players, So kind of picture that, where you put the money in and the money funneled down through the opening into the box. And they said you could throw your coins in a certain way so it created a loud clanging so everyone would know how much you were giving. So whatever the case, what the trumpet sounds that Jesus is talking about, but what he's saying is don't draw attention to the fact that you're giving money. Don't sound the trumpet. Don't toot your own horn. Jesus says those who do this are hypocrites. That's kind of an ugly-feeling word, right? The root of the word hypocrite, though, refers to the actors in the Greek and Roman culture of that time. So in other words, a hypocrite is someone who is actually doing one thing but acts like something else. Usually, for an audience. So these people act like they're holy, they act like they're righteous, they act like they're followers of God, but in reality, they're not. They're hypocrites. But then Jesus says they have their reward in full. So what is their reward? I wonder if what Jesus meant could be that the hypocrites do have a reward but it's far less than the reward that Jesus gives. They have the approval of men, but not of God. These hypocrites have traded the reward from God for a reward from men. And I think that's a pretty poor trade any day of the week. And hearing that makes me wanna look at the posture of my heart when I do a kind deed or when I give. I want to do the things and act the same way. I want to have a pure heart. Earlier in the sermon, in chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And seeing God sounds like a pretty beautiful reward to me. And then Jesus says in verse 3, But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So first let's pause for a moment and acknowledge something. Jesus says when you give, not if you give. Jesus' expectations of followers of God is that they will give. Jesus is speaking specifically here about giving to the poor through the care of the church. Caring for people took place as a result of the faithful and sacrificial giving of God's people. Caring for people still takes place through our faithful and sacrificial giving. In order to care for people well, we need to give jesus says when not if and so then he's saying don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so this is a hyperbole which is an extreme exaggeration to catch our attention right he doesn't literally mean that your two hands can't be on the same mental page as one another have you ever tried to pat your head and rub your stomach like it's yeah it's really hard isn't it and you find your head when you're patting going in a circle So what Jesus is really saying is that we should give quietly without fanfare or horn-tooting. Give quietly. Jesus calls us to give generously and sacrificially as well as humbly and quietly. And when we do that, Jesus says, your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. The rewards of God are so much richer and deeper and longer lasting, more soul satisfying, fulfilling and valuable than the rewards of this earth or the rewards of man. Those rewards will pass away. But the rewards of God are eternal and everlasting and kingdom building. Give with a pure heart where only the one The one who sees in secret will notice. He will reward you. You will see him. Giving comes down to the posture of our hearts. Jesus is saying to us, when you give, surrender your desire for glory and allow your quiet, humble giving to give glory to God. Then we'll bop down into verse 16 where it says, where we talk about fasting. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. Remember, you're doing one thing and acting like another, usually for approval. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you while i practice giving and praying which is what we'll talk about next fasting is something i don't really often do but Again, Jesus says, when you fast. So I felt a little tug in my heart once again. So basically, fasting is is when you deny yourself something, a thing you enjoy and go to for comfort. For, For a time, so you can use that hunger to intentionally draw you to the heart of God. So when we fast, we don't just skip meals. Certain foods, social media, TV, just things like that. So we skip those, but instead of just skipping them, we intentionally turn from what normally satisfies us, the time that we give that thing, and intentionally turn us, turn to God who satisfies us in our weaknesses, right? The awareness and that longing. So the hunger that's in us while we're fasting whether for food or things, usually can cause us discomfort. And it reminds us of our humanness, how easily we are satisfied, and it reminds us how desperate our need is for God. We are coming upon the season of Lent that Sarah pointed to, these spiritual practices that that our churches will be participating in, And this Lent is a perfect time for us to give up something and intentionally draw near to God. To have Him satisfy us and fill us when we're craving something. To recognize our need for something greater to fill us. I'm asking Him to guide me in what to fast from. From the thing that too easily satisfies me and to press into him, right? And then when that discomfort or that longing comes, to press into God to fill me. I know this is a Cliff's Notes to a Cliff's Notes on fasting, but I wonder if you would join me in growing and learning more about fasting that Jesus talks about. And we'll go back to verse 5, and we're going to spend most of our time this morning on these verses. Chapter Matthew 6, chapter 5, or Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Are you catching the theme here of what Jesus is wanting us to grasp? That the posture of our heart matters. Even as we're doing something good, like giving, fasting, praying, he's inviting us to look into our motivations, the posture of our hearts. God doesn't want us putting on a show but instead he desires for our prayers to come from pure, sincere, humble hearts. Are we using big words and an influx of our voice? Or are our prayers humble, from off, like humble offerings from hearts that know we need Jesus? Are we only praying in front of others at church or a Bible study or... Are we praying when we're by ourselves or with our families? It is such a beautiful thing to know that God, the creator of the world, wants to have intimacy with us, that he wants to hear our hearts, the parts of ourselves that so often we tuck away. Keep praying, praying for others, with others, by yourself. Prayer can be intentional, that close yourself in a room, feel it out, yell it out, cry it out, swear it out, right? Or prayer can be that running conversation in our head because just one prayer isn't enough. There's nothing we can bring him that's too small, too big, any burden that's too difficult that he doesn't want laid at his feet. My favorite verse is Matthew 11:28, 28, and it says, "'Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, "'and I will give you rest.'" The best way we can come to Jesus is through prayer. Keep the posture of your heart humble and tender. When we bring each and everything to Him, we can wait with expectant hearts that we will be heard, that we will be seen, that we will be loved, that we will find rest. Remember earlier when I said I love how Jesus doesn't just tell us something, that he walks it out or tenderly explains it to us? Prayer is no different. In verse nine, it says this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So as a little girl, when we ended our what seemed like 10 or 15 minute long congregational prayer, we ended it with the Lord's Prayer. And it was such a relief because I knew the prayer was almost over. So as a child, I mumbled those words, and I didn't really know what they meant. And even as an adult, I kind of felt disappointed that this was how Jesus taught us to pray. Because it didn't feel personal, and it didn't feel deep. And... I just, I, 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 to be honest, I did, I, I felt disappointed. But then, about six years ago, I was in a really intense discipleship group, and I learned what Jesus was actually teaching us to pray through the Lord's Prayer, and when I share it with you, I hope you love it as much as I do. I wanna walk with you through this with the help of a visual, which is the shape of a hexagon. I told you, I, I, maybe I didn't tell you guys, but I'm like the least technical person and I, I made these. I learned how to like make a copy of a Google slide. I didn't actually make these because I sent them to Sarah because I don't know how to do Planning Center. But anyway, it was kind of fun. So I made this hexagon for you guys. <laughs> and it gets fancier, like this, this isn't the end. <laughs> um, so we start out with the Father's character. Our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Our God, should I answer that? (laughs) Four rings, rings, okay. (laughs) Um. Our God is the Father to all humanity. Father, God is so, so personal. There is nothing impersonal about Him. He's our protector, our provider. He is our safe place. He is our peace. In heaven. God is closer than we think. There's this term of heaven brushing earth, and it literally takes my breath away when I think about it because that's how close he is to us. Hallowed be your name. That's our desire for his holy name to be known, respected, awed, to be great. That feeling of, I don't want to keep this glorious news to myself. So we begin this prayer by declaring who we're praying to our Father. In scripture, there are many different names that are used to describe God. And while all the names of God are beautiful in many ways, the name Abba, Father, is one of the most significant names for us to understand how God relates to his people. The word Abba is an Aramaic word that when translated means father or daddy. It was a common term that expressed affection and confidence and trust. Abba signifies the close, intimate relationship of a father and his child, as well as a childlike trust that a young child can put in their daddy. Jesus begins by addressing God as Abba, or Daddy. And this is revolutionary. He doesn't approach God as a judge or a ruler. He calls him Dad. Over and over again, Jesus affirms how children approach God with a childlike faith. To really experience the fullness of a relationship with God through prayer, we must grasp the tenderness that our perfect Father brings us. To learn how to talk to him as the Father that he really is. We're not talking about the Father we had or didn't have here on earth. Jesus is talking about the good Father. He is our everlasting Father. If you didn't have a dad on earth that was precious and kind and loving,
1: I am so sorry. I have a really great dad. And, um, I'm super thankful for who he is in my life. And my kids have a broken relationship with their dad. And in August, I brought my oldest daughter to college and there's moms and dads together everywhere, loading and carrying things. And I felt that heaviness, that tug sometimes where you you feel alone. And I was sitting in the auditorium
0: at Cornerstone at the parent meeting, and I was sitting by myself, and I was looking around their new chapel, which is beautiful. And on the walls of the chapel, they had names for God. And I thought, oh, that's so great. So I was sitting there, and it was carved in wood, and it was so beautiful. And as I was looking around, You know, there's Prince of Peace, Mighty God, um, Comforter, those kinds of things, Counselor, all things that I'd thought about God before. And then I saw Everlasting Father, and I felt sad for my kids because of the picture of what dad looks like to them, and the picture, I, I had a fear. Like, what if they don't see God as an everlasting father because the relationship is broken? And so anyway, I just kind of sat there, and then the meeting started, and we left. And then we came back in with our kids, and I had all my kids with me so we could say goodbye to my oldest. And we had worship, and it was beautiful. And I was feeling teary because I was saying goodbye to her. And then as we walked out, I looked up, and we had sat underneath the sign that said Everlasting Father. And I just felt God's presence that it's gonna be okay.
1: And that God can heal those places in their hearts. And I didn't have any of this written down, but when we were singing um, The Goodness of God, that song this morning, I felt God say, just say you're sorry if you didn't have a good dad and that God can heal those places in you. And he is the perfect father. He is the everlasting father. He is those perfect things, the protector and the comforter and the peace and all of those things that your soul was craving. God can heal that and he is that. So, I love you, whoever you are, and God loves you. And He is our everlasting Father. And so, to come to Him with that heart where we say, Father, I pray that that place is healed and you can see God in a beautiful, rich, pure, perfect Father way.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I, I am a weeper. I just am. Um, so we can look to God for those places in our relationship. And we can admit that need, that we need him, that he loves to see us in that posture of child. He says, come to me as a child. He is our safe place. Being his child is the safest place to be. And so by starting that prayer, by saying, our Father, Jesus shows us that when we come to him as a child, that is the sweetest, most precious place to be and to come to him as a child before we come to him as anything else. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. We are asking for God's rule to come on our lives as well as the lives of others around us. Your will be done. We are surrendering to God and truly desire his will to be done in our lives and in our world. On earth as it is in heaven. Expressing our desire to see all the earth willingly surrender to God. We aren't looking to escape to heaven, although sometimes, doesn't that sound so good? But it's to have the kingdom of God here and now, the glimpses of God's kingdom on earth today, heaven brushing earth. When we pray this, we acknowledge that we want God's rule to extend to all the earth, and that includes our life, by saying, your will be done we declare our trust in him. The statement declares that he is powerful, that he is a set-apart king, that he owns everything, rules everything, and has a right to everything. By praying this, we place ourselves in a beautiful posture of surrender under the hand of a good and loving king who also lets us call him dad. We pray this because when God's kingdom is present, restoration and renewal happen and God's kingdom fruit is produced. Fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus tells us to ask for that here and now in this present time. We don't have to wait for heaven, for freedom, for restoration and healing, because his kingdom is here, it's now, it's heaven brushing earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us. As humans, we are pretty needy. We can't do life on our own. God longs to be the one that we go to for provision. When we receive from God, we need to remember that he is God and we are not. And there is a whole lot of comfort in that. Today, our daily bread, we need God now and every day. A good parent tenderly and intimately and relentlessly cares for his kids. God is the good father who wants to provide for us. This can be spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally, physically. In praying this, we're acknowledging that everything we have comes from God because he is our provider. This is not a rainbows and unicorns outlook. And it's also not a half-hearted request where we say the words, and then we go out and try to do it on our own. It doesn't work that way. I know that. This is an in-the-trenches, real-deal faith kind of thing. When we find ourselves with plenty, we acknowledge his provision and care. When we find ourselves in need, we ask him to provide. And then we watch our faith grow when we see him show up. And if we don't ask him to provide for us, we miss out on this amazing spiritual thing of seeing God show up in really crazy, awesome ways that I know he's up there smiling. We're blessed spiritually and emotionally and physical provision. And it's just delightful when you ask and then open your eyes to see how he's showing up. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And forgive us our debts. We talked about sin at Harbor Life a few weeks ago, where sin is when we miss the mark. When we miss the mark, we repent, which that word can have kind of a funny feeling sometimes, but the word repent means to simply turn and go the other way. We miss the mark, like when you're shooting at a bullseye or playing darts. You miss the mark, and you simply turn and go the other way. And when we do that, we ask God to forgive us and restore us to the right path, and we turn to walking in the light. And we also have forgiven our debtors. When others stray from the heart of God, it causes us pain sometimes breaks our heart and we must surrender our desire to hold on to that brokenness and be willing to do the difficult intentional work of forgiveness and we can ask him for that strength we don't have to do it on our our own and he gives us that strength especially when extending forgiveness is deeply personal There is so much goodness for us wrapped up in those two lines. First, Jesus is showing us that an intentional rhythm of repenting and turning the other way is part of a thriving, flourishing relationship with God. Repenting is a joy. It restores us back to the Father and He delights in nothing more than being connected to us. We often approach God with shame and condemnation, but that prevents us from practicing repentance and then walking in the joy and freedom that being connected to him brings. There is no condemnation in Christ. And secondly, he challenges us in the area of forgiving others. Jesus challenges us to ask for forgiveness in direct proportion of how we forgive others. This could be a really good thing if we practice forgiveness regularly, but it could be difficult if we struggle or hold on to something. Forgiveness takes surrender, right? When we receive forgiveness, we're surrendering to God as king And when we extend forgiveness, we're submitting to the king's command to forgive others. It's like love. Love, is it's not always natural. Loving someone, you don't always feel love, right? But you choose to love. When we're surrendering to the king, we choose to receive and extend forgiveness. If we're not doing either, the posture of our hearts isn't surrendering to the king as our good father. Asking for forgiveness and working through offenses brings us closer to the heart of our father. It's laying down our pride and confessing where we miss the mark and where we need to lay down our desire to hold on to someone else's short covering, shortcomings and failures and walk in forgiveness. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus taught his disciples, us included, and then he sends us out into the world with this amazing, life-changing message of God's love and his forgiveness. We are praying these words, asking for God's guidance and wisdom as we seek to advance his kingdom in this world without. Out becoming like the world Jesus was fully human and he understands that our faith journey can be so hard and that it includes temptation as we move from our relationship with our good father into the world with the purpose of advancing his kingdom we need his guidance we need to know and recognize his voice and then follow it. When we go out in the world and bring the kingdom here, when we bring it now, when we are part of heaven brushing earth, all we have to do is listen to the Father's voice and move toward it. He guides us, he leads us, and he completes the good work that he started in us and that we partner with him to do. Asking for his guidance is so vital. We can't do it on our own. We are weak. Praying this line reminds us that we need him. We need Jesus. We need our loving father and to surrender to his leading. And deliver us from evil. We must ask for protection against all the different ways that Satan tries to lead us away from bringing light and love and truth, and we need God's help to do this. Again, we can't do it alone. Jesus wants us to be aware of the fact that we have an enemy. Jesus tells us in John 10, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy We are wiser and more ready to fight his schemes simply with that acknowledgement. If we know it and pray for it and ask for it, it will be easier to stand firm. We need to be aware that we aren't fighting against flesh and blood. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. That makes me know we can, with the help of Jesus, defeat the enemy. That war is won. And sometimes those spiritual battles, though, are lost because of our blindness to the enemy's schemes. So Jesus is encouraging us to ask for the Father's deliverance and protection. God and the enemy are not equals. Our Father has already won this war. And as we engage in kingdom work, His protection is over our lives. Praying this line acknowledges the spiritual battles that we are born into. It reminds us of our need for a Father who has won. It affirms our confidence in His power and it leans us into His protection with a spirit of dependence and surrender. Jesus' heart and meaning behind the words of the Lord's Prayer is so beautiful. And we can use this outline to pray any prayer that we have when we're just talking or just chatting with God. Celebrating Him as our Father. Surrendering our desires for Him, to Him. Asking Him for the ways that we need Him to provide for us. Asking for His forgiveness. Asking for His help to help us forgive others. To ask for His guidance to hear and know his voice, and for his protection over our lives. That's what the Lord's prayer is. As I've sat thinking about these three practices this week, how they connect, giving, fasting, praying, I feel like the common thread that weaves Jesus' words together is the posture of our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. We need to look at Jesus. We need to reflect his heart's posture. He called himself gentle and lowly of heart. He reflected the posture of humility before his father, and before all of the people that he interacted with. Jesus' model of taking a humble posture spiritually brings us in step with the Holy Spirit. It alters our perspective. It changes the way we think and we act. When we keep our eyes on the Father, we learn to surrender and trust we learn to posture our heart in patterns of humility. I wonder if you're like me, that you realize that there are some places that the posture of your heart needs repenting and healing. That you too long to be gentle and lowly of heart. He loves it when we humbly come to him. Psalm 51:10 says, "Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He makes us new. When we ask, he always answers. When we surrender and trust, He comes in and gives us a pure heart. The posture of our hearts reflect him, a heart. Posture towards Jesus will give us life and life abundantly. Why have the heart posture to give quietly? For the reward of the Father. Why have a heart's posture to fast? For the reward of the Father. Why have the heart posture to pray quietly? for the reward of the Father. And what is that reward? The posture of a pure heart is the reward of seeing God. And seeing God, my friends, is the most beautiful of rewards. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. Father, we ask for your forgiveness of our sins. Father, we ask that you help us learn to submit what we're holding on to to forgive others. Father, we ask for your protection and your deliverance. God, we ask for your guidance. Lord, we ask that you provide for us. Father, we ask that you heal the broken places in our hearts. We're calling you, Dad, hurts or is hard. Father, create in us a pure heart because we want to see you. We love you. Amen.